Coming up on This Week in Games, Boss Key Productions shuts down, legal esports betting is coming to a state near you, and Twitch starts a bounty program, but who is it benefiting? Coming up, This Week in Games. Weekend games. I'm back, and we have a lot to go over because it's almost been a month, and a lot has happened. I'm not going to go over any of the financial reveals of like Q uh, Q2 earnings and so on and so on. But before we get into this week's news, I want to cover three big stories that I missed, and I'll start off with Twitch unveils a bounty board for streamers. So Twitch is basically looking to become an intermediate between influencers, anyone who streams on Twitch and has a decent following, and third-party companies that are looking for streamers to sponsor their gameplay of a game or whatever. So it's not clear yet if Twitch receives cash on the front or back, meaning do the companies pay Twitch before they post on the bounty, or does Twitch take a cut of each of the fulfillments of the bounty by a Twitch streamer? I don't know. It's not clear even if they take money at all. So, But what is clear, basically, is the bug bounty program is in beta, and it's in limited time only. So here's how it works. Streamers can review sponsored offers, look over the details like concurrent users, link to streams, hashtag to includes, and the sponsor will offer game keys and cash for the streamer. So basically, an example is like someone, uh, Activision, wants people to stream Call of Duty. Call of Duty Black Ops 4. So Activision will put up, hey, Call of Duty Black Ops 4, stream for four hours, must maintain concurrent streamers of at least 10,000, well, probably less than that, 5,000, and uh, we'll give you, I don't know, $500, okay? And then someone clicks on that, says, I can do that. I guess there's some process to say that they can do that. Um, It's probably only available to high-end streamers anyways and probably the twitch partners and they stream they get their money uh call of duty can guarantee that they got their concurrent views and so on and so on they put up hashtags and whatnot i don't know who gets the right to the video or not that's an interesting one does call of duty then own that particular stream i don't know uh there's a lot of details to go over You know, I'm on the fence. Okay, so this is an amazing idea for everyone involved from a business standpoint because it's a great, like, service that Twitch is offering. Basically, Twitch is giving streamers who can't go out and kind of advertise or go get their own offers a way to get these offers. It's um, giving the sponsors a level playing field to kind of see what each other is offering for a stream and then, you know, it's hard to say when something like this happens, it'll either be a race to the bottom or a race to the top. But in reality, I see, I'm, I take the negative side on everything. So I see a race to the bottom. So this might actually drop the cost for a high-end sponsored stream. But it'll allow people to have access to more sponsored streaming cash. So what I mean is... If all these companies, like, once again, Activision, Blizzard, who are the same company, but if Activision, Blizzard, EA, uh, Sony, everyone starts putting up bounties for this, um, they'll probably be fulfilled not by the highest-end streamer, like Ninja. It'll be fulfilled by, like, high, 
medium high to medium in streamers. Um, these are people who, you know, don't rank in the top 10, might rank in the 90 to 100 for an individual stream by an individual person, right? So what's going to happen is um, the companies will probably keep lowering these costs because more streamers will want them. Everyone wants free cash, and it's almost free cash, um, you know, to stream for four hours and put up a hashtag and so on. So I see a race to the bottom. So if Activision starts off giving $500 for four hours of streaming, you know, maybe next time they test the waters and see what kind of um, metrics they get for $400 for four hours of streaming and so on and so on. And probably cash-hungry streamers will cater their entire operation to maximizing this bounty program so they can pay their bills. Kind of like, you know, when Fortnite becomes the hot thing to stream, everyone jumps on because it gets them the most viewers, which gets them the most ads and most donations and so on and so on. So very similar to that, I see a lot of the streamers who do this full-time for money to kind of cater and optimize their entire channel towards this program. It's an interesting program, though, because um, right now it's kind of a gray market you know, a lot of these streamers might hire third-party agencies or a lot of uh, companies looking for sponsors, for streaming sponsors, might hire third-party agencies to find streamers. And so it's kind of like unclear unless you know other streamers and talk to them regularly what good a quality you're getting um, from your agency on both sides of the fence. So this is an interesting uh, program and I guess... We'll see how it does in the wild. So next up is a crushing story to me because I'm from North Carolina, and that's Bosky Productions is shutting down. So Bosky's Productions was Cliffy B's company. Um, he spun it up after he left Epic Games after he shipped Gears of War 3. So let's go through some history. May 14th, Cliff Blazinski announced... Bosky Productions has closed. That's May 14, 2018. Okay, Bosky Productions was formed by Cliffy B back in 2014. So t May 14, 2018, it closed. But back in 2014, Cliffy B made Bosky Productions. It was backed by Nexon, who was going to be their publisher for their games. And I guess his original plan was to bring back the kind of heyday of arena shooters like UTO4 and Quake 3 Arena stuff when he was kind of at the, uh, I wouldn't say he was at the peak of his game because clearly Gears of War probably made w way more money than Unreal Tournament. But, you know, in his mind and some of people of his age, that was the peak of their like love for gaming zeitgeist was UTO4 and Quake 3 Arena. So he wanted to bring that back. They made Lawbreakers. Lawbreakers was released August of 2017, but unfortunately, two things happened. First of all, between him announcing Lawbreakers and launching it, Overwatch was announced and released, and Overwatch came out a year before Lawbreakers. So even though Overwatch isn't an arena shooter per se, it's more of like a weird kind of... I mean, it is a copy of uh, Team Fortress 2, but it is like... It takes some from MOBA, it takes some from, you know, it does take a little bit from UTO4 with the map scenarios, it takes a little from everything, and then classes it up in a very, like, Pixar-friendly superhero way, right? And so Overwatch comes out, it's a beast, it comes out a year before this, um, before Lawbreakers, and then even worse, um, something no one saw coming, because everyone 
like Overwatch, what you guys don't realize is a lot of first-person MOBAs were coming out, and then Overwatch was announced and came out and literally just killed them all. You know, <laughs> it just destroyed everything. So if you guys remember, um, Epic Games had that one first-person MOBA. What was it called? I know everyone hates it when I stop the podcast and uh, say, what was it called? Let's see. I'm actually using the internet. Paragon. So you remember Paragon. Um, you remember Paladins. There's a few others. Yeah. So first-person MOBAs all got destroyed by Overwatch. Something else happened, which I don't think people realize how out of the blue it was, and that was PUBG came out, officially releasing five months before Lawbreakers, and basically effectively gathering up everyone who's remotely interested in um, first-person shooters that wasn't addicted to Overwatch. It just gathered them all up into one game, and it was like, hey, you like realistic shooters, you like competitive shooters that don't have cartoon characters and superhero abilities, bam, all of you are going to be playing this one game. So by the time Lawbreakers came out, um, it was a lukewarm reception. It got pretty good reviews, but wasn't the smash hit uh, Boss Key Productions was hoping, neither Nexon. Then things were bad because it immediately dropped off a cliff. Like, within the first, after the first month of release, I remember the amount of concurrent players, like, like if you look at a graph, it literally looks like a cliff face because it just goes up and then it just dies. Um, so next on Boss Key Productions, they made a desperate attempt to kind of save the studio and Radical Heights was announced April of 2018. But the Battle Royale genre already had a vibrant cartoony counterpart to PUBG and that's Fortnite. And if you guys remember, Fortnite was in development by Epic Games, the company Cliffy B just left to start Boss Key Productions for seven years. And no one actually realizes this outside of the game industry, really, that Fortnite, Fortnite's Battle Royale mode that people think of when they think of Fortnite isn't the actual game. Fortnite's game, main game, is a building uh, defense survival game. No one's ever played that. I don't think people even know what it is because everyone just plays the Battle Royale um game mode in Fortnite, right? So Fortnite comes out. It's the vibrant, like, cute, cuddly, and kind of takes over PUBG pretty fast because, once again, it's like... I mean, it's a game where you shoot people and stuff, but it still has the same kind of color palette that uh, Overwatch was kind of going with. Super bright, vibrant colors, very welcoming. Um, the gameplay is a little more forgiving. The gameplay is a little more arcadey than PUBG, which is very like slow, strategic, um, stalker-based in a way. So Fortnite comes out. Cliffy B announces Radical Heights, which is another cobbler, uh color cartoony um battle royale game but guess what there's only room for two you know you have your realistic PUBG and you have your cartoony all-encompassing for everyone Fortnite, and there's really no room for radical heights um there's interest some interest at first and then it just immediately died because i mean like everyone's so addicted to Fortnite, it doesn't even matter so what's even worse is like when Radical Heights was announced, a ton of other companies and games already announced additional Battle Royale games or are turning their games into Battle Royale. For example, Call of Duty Black Ops 4 confirmed a Battle Royale mode in Call of Duty Black Ops 4, and no single player 
um, campaign. Instead, they're only focusing on multiplayer modes. So they are desperately scrambling for this too because, I mean, in their eyes, and probably rightfully so, no one cares about a single-player campaign, especially one that I'm sure all these Call of Duties have some kind of interwinding storyline, but this is the fourth Black Ops. Like, I don't think people care about single-player. They just want to get on and shoot people and level up their avatar or whatever it's called, like the their perk system that levels up in Call of Duty multiplayer games. So, yeah, it's rough, you know? And I read a lot of articles when Boss Key Productions said it was shutting down, and a lot of them, you know, really want to dig into Cliffy B and attribute it maybe his ego or talk about celebrity fame. But in reality, I think what happened here was because Lawbreakers is a good game. Okay. And I stand by that. And Lawbreakers still has some movement mechanics and some things in it that I think Overwatch or other games should just flat out rip out the rip off because it does some um, asymmetric movement design better than their games. And I think it'd be great if, you know, people ripped that off from lawbreakers the problem is is like i think boss p boss key productions was um trying to bring back anytime you try to bring back an era of gaming like you know i grew up and i love playstation 1 80 hour japanese rpgs but at this point i outside of niche games like people who really love like the trails in the sky uh series and stuff like that you're not going to release an 80-hour Japanese RPG and really smash it out of the park, in my opinion. You can, I mean, because you can just sell... Everything's new in 10 years, so in 10 years, the people are young now, young now are grown up, and you have a new, like, age of 10-year-olds who can, you know, learn Japanese RPGs for the first time, and it's not a, you know, a watered-down thing, but you know what I'm saying. Like, I'm not going to go out and try to shake the world up with Japanese RPGs from the PlayStation 1 era because I think game design and gaming zeitgeist and what people expect from a product to move beyond that. And I feel like the same was with Lawbreakers is, you know, they should have marketed it, not marketed as like a hardcore blah, 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 blah. They should have marketed as an eSport or something else from the start and probably put in, you know, originally it was going to be free-to-play. They probably should have kept it free-to-play. I'm sure it was probably Nexon who made them change it, but they should have kept it free-to-play, and they should have put in tons of achievements and ranking up and just making numbers go up every time you play the match and getting free stuff like cosmetic items um, and just really leverage that as hard as they could and then make, I know all the characters and all the models, a lot of them were very... I wouldn't say mature, but definitely for a more mature audience. Like, they were very detailed. Some of them were gritty. Um, I think they should have, you know, spanned the whole spectrum of models, uh, put in a lot of free-to-play mechanics that, you know, every time you play, like, three matches, you feel like you accomplished something because you made some numbers somewhere go up and you got a piece of cosmetic items that you'll never equip, right? Like, that's what they should have did. And then maybe tried to launch an eSports uh, league right off the bat for it and just try to get publicity for it the way they went about it like you know you're just not going to compete with overwatch and 
it's hard. You know, it, it was really hard for them. And Radical Heights was just like, I mean, it was clearly an unfinished project. And it was a last minute ditch effort to save the company. And you have to applaud them for throwing that together. And it's just really unfortunate. Luckily, Epic Games is like 10 minutes away from Bosque Productions. And most of the employees came from Epic Games. I think Epic Games already rehired uh, the co-founder of Bosque Productions. That the guy who um, co-founded Bosky Productions from Cliffy V. Let me look up his name right now. I should have this ready, to be honest. Um, Arjun Brucey, he already went back to Epic Games, okay? And he probably, you know, saw the paper. He was the COO of Bosky, and Cliffy V was the CEO. So he probably already saw the financial situation and saw what was going on, went back to Epic Games because he knew that it was pretty like um you know pretty dire so that's rough there's 65 employees roughly according to the reports that i've read so hopefully they can all find jobs i mean there's insomniac there's epic games uh there's a couple of like um supporting game studios that aren't main game studios i can't think of them right now but hopefully everyone finds jobs and uh cliffy b i think will go back into retirement maybe come back maybe cook up something new i mean yeah so that's what i think about that and it's very unfortunate very unfortunate because uh he's kind of like you know there's an era in the game development industry and game industry in general where you had superstars and it's kind of like from the 80s to the early 2000s maybe like 2009 like from late 80s to 2009 you actually especially in the 90s late 90s when things this were at its peak but you actually knew game developers you knew directors you knew people who are responsible for your favorite game and uh, they were kind of like celebrities. And Cliffy B had this like larger-than-life personality. He drove a Lamborghini in Raleigh, North Carolina, which is like crazy. Um, I remember he used to wear when I used to watch Tech TV back in the day. This is like early 2000s. I would watch Tech TV, and Tech TV would cover E3, and I think they were the only company. Probably them and G4 were the only companies that covered E3, like really covered it um, and put it on television. And Tech TV used to always interview Cliffy B at E3, and he would wear zoot suits, and he was just so ridiculous, and he was a great character, and, you know, stuff like that. And I think that era is gone. Like, you know, you had Knox with Minecraft, uh, but yeah, like, you just don't get personalities and the celebrity of game developers like you used to. And I think... The game industry, I mean, it partially has to do with the publisher relationship. Publishers don't want to celebrate, celebrate, make celeb, I, I was trying to make a verb out of the word celebrity, but make celebrities of their developers because then all the value is not in the name of the studio or the name of the publisher. It's in the name of the person, like the director of design or something, right? So they don't want to do that. Um, and, you know, that's a business decision, but... I think the game industry should try to push people forward and really needs to take a look at PR so we can have more celebrities like Cliffy B, but for this day and age. And I think we're really missing that. And people like to shit on, you know, anyone whose name is known to people. So, but really, you got to think about it. Like Cliffy B made Gears of War. He made three of them. I'm sure after the first one, he didn't want to make two more, but Epic needed him to. 
he made them, you know, he left, he took time off, he wanted to make what he loved, arena shooters. He went and made it, it didn't succeed, but, I mean, the man went out there and did it, and he earned his name for a reason, he self-promoted, I think a lot of people should look at that and say, like, hey, if I'm a game developer who's in some kind of, like, position where I do a lot, maybe I should self-promote and get my name out there, and he took a stab at it with Bosque Productions, and it failed, so... Yeah, hard one, but let's move on. So the next big news that we missed um, while I was on break is esports gambling is coming. So this is awesome. (laughs) So basically, the Supreme Court overturned a ban on sports betting. I think the ban went into effect in like 1992. Um, And it's up to individual states to decide whether to legalize sports betting or not. And you know what falls under sports betting? Esports betting. So Nevada has been offering esports betting since 2016. I think the first esports bet... Oh, God. I, I should have wrote this down. It was either Dota 2 or League of Legends. It was one of those two. But, uh, yeah. So since 2016, you could do esports betting. So esports betting has a... Esports has a history of betting controversies. But... Most of the worst news of betting and whatnot comes from, like, kind of side-channel betting. So, basically, if you think about a currency and you think about a digital item, like, if you can think of a way to make that digital item worth money in real life, then you can use that digital item to bet on stuff and kind of circumvent the law. And so the example of the biggest esports betting shutdown was Counter-Strike Go had skins, and these skins were worth lots of money, and so people would actually use the skins to bet on esports matches, and then whoever won would sell the skins to, like, on, like, an auction or forum or whatever, where they sell the skins to people who just want to collect the skins and equip them to their character. But that's kind of like a way that they have circumvented esports betting before because you're betting digital items that you acquired while playing the game. And then you could sell those items to other people for real life, but you weren't buying digital items and then betting with them. You just acquired them in the game. And so it was kind of gray, uh, in my opinion, as to whether that was real betting or not, but uh, Valve thought it was, so they shut that down. Anyways, let's get on to sports betting. So basically, from what I can tell what's offered now, esports betting right now kind of takes the fight betting similar system. So they use a plus or minus 100 system. So basically, let's say we have a match, um, you know, like, okay, we have an NALCS match. That's the League of Legends North American like Pro League, right? And we have a match between, I don't know, two teams, whatever. Let's just make up teams, the Dragons and the Tigers, right? So the match might say plus 113 for the Tigers and minus 250 for the Dragons. Now, what does that mean? That means the Dragons are favored to win. Um, You have to bet $250 to win $100. That's what minus 250 means. And then the plus 113 means the Tigers are favored to lose. So if you bet $100, you get your $100 back plus $113. So that's basically what the plus or minus 100 system is. And then there are extra bets you can make, like uh, at the beginning of the season, you can choose the NALCS winner outright, and it's normally like really good odds on everyone because, you know, how are you going to choose? Like players could die or leave teams, or you don't know how people are going to perform. So 
those are the outside bets. So um, that's kind of where we are now with esports betting. I think if it went wide range, we could see actually it move to the football system. We're like, okay, imagine two football teams, um, and one team's always going to win. Like, some crappy team, like, I don't know football that much, but I imagine the Cleveland Browns aren't very good. Is that their name, the Cleveland? Anyways, they always get made fun of. So, whoever the Browns are. So, imagine the Browns versus whoever won the Super Bowl last year. The Browns are definitely going to lose. No matter what you make the line, no one's going to bet on them. So, what they do is they do a, like, the person who won the Super Bowl should win by two touchdowns. So that way, there's actually a reason for you to bet on the Browns. So if the person who won the Super Bowl only wins by one touchdown and one field goal, that's 10 points, instead of the 14-point spread that the line was set at, you would actually win if you bet on the Browns. So I could see esports betting moving into maybe a more complicated bet betting system that way because... You know, you could, uh, let's say a League of Legends match is best out of five. You could say, hey, I bet on Team A to win. The line is Team A is going to win in three matches, meaning Team B isn't going to win a single match. And then you bet on that, and Team B wins one match. So the match is over in four matches instead of three. Uh, You win money, even though Team B still got beat three to one. Um, They didn't get beat three to oh, so you win money. So I could see that coming along. I could see a lot of things coming up. Um... What I don't want to see is cryptocurrency betting because then you're going to get that shit shut down. So please, please. I know there's uh, like Unicorn Coin and a few other companies that are trying to figure out how to circumvent the IRS and all the laws with uh, cryptocurrency betting. Please don't go that route. Just bet with real money. And uh, hopefully we can get sports betting and esports betting um, legalized and uh if you have a gambling problem go seek out help blah 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 blah. because i don't want to like encourage people to bet money but if you like to bet money you know whatever and watch esports matches go for it um all right so those are the three big stories i wanted to cover now let me run through the week's news and i'm just going to run through it pretty fast because nothing really crazy happened this week so let's start off with the biggest news and that's netty's um, a giant publisher, mainly of mobile games from China. NetEase invests $100 million into Bungie for a new title. So Bungie, they're the makers of Halo, and then they sold Halo IP to Microsoft, and they went on to make Destiny, which is published by Activision. And now Bungie sells a minority stake in their company to fund a new project. Um, NetEase gives them $100 million for that no- minority stake and NetEase receives board seats on Bungie's board of directors so that's a very important thing for like muscling around a company to do your bidding um I don't know how many board seats they received and I don't know how big their board is uh, but it's interesting interesting to see if Bungie did this because they either want to bring their new game to China or just kind of the Asian mobile market in general because that's what NetEase is known for or NetEase maybe trying to force a big AAA company to bring their new game to this. So we'll see. Um, Currently, Bungie publishes Destiny under Activision Blizzard, like I said. And with NetEase and its investment, Bungie is looking towards self-publishing their future title. So this is an interesting take. So this is a new take on what large AAA studios might do in the future. So before this, okay, originally the main thing was like a AAA studio would 
you know, make a game for a company or a publisher. And then the publisher, a lot of times, would just end up outright buying the AAA studio. So that's like Bioware got bought out by EA after EA published some of their games. And then Bioware was just a studio under EA. They weren't an independent um, studio who was getting published by EA. So, you know, that's kind of like what the model was. And, you know, the publisher a lot of times will come out of that owning the IP, which is the most important piece of this, right? So then what happened after that was you had like Bungie taking on Activision as a publisher. So before Microsoft purposefully owned the Halo IP, I don't remember the exact thing, but like, Bungie couldn't take the Halo IP with them and go to PlayStation if they wanted. So they sold whatever stake they had in the Halo IP to Microsoft. And then they took on Activision as a publisher and made Destiny. And it's once again, it's unclear to me, but I'm pretty sure Activision uh, doesn't outright own Destiny as an IP because Bungie negotiated that. So this was like the new era where you take on a publisher, but you would still own the IP and the publisher wouldn't own a stake in your company. So you had Bungie do that with Activision and you had Respawn do that with EA and there's other AAA companies who made those negotiations to then keep the IP but still take on these mammoth publishers to fund their titles and share, obviously, the royalties with the publisher. So now this is an interesting strategy for Bungie to then just sell off a minority stake, whatever that means, um, give up some board seats, and then take the money from doing that to fund a game and then uh, self-publish. So you get, so ideally, like, NetEase wants their money back, right? So, But Activision or uh, Bungie wants all the money from their game. So Bungie now self-publishes. They don't have to split the earnings, whatever, with a publisher. So they get everything they make when they sell a copy of the game and in-app purchases and what on. And then NetEase gets to, like, put their hand in the piggy bank and take some of those profits for their minority stake. Um, so this is an interesting new take, and I'd be curious to see if any other big studios try something like this in the future. And I'm curious to see if, I don't know, NetEase, like, muscles <laughs> Bungie into making... Um, you know, mobile games for an Asian audience. That'll be weird to see what NetEase thinks of owning a part in a giant AAA, mainly Western studio. So next up, we have Zynga, Zynga acquires Graham Games for $250 million. Now, I am a former Zynga employee. It's been like under a year since I've left. I, I will not, I will unfortunately not give my opinion on this. I'm just going to share quick facts about this and move on. So Graham Games is mostly known for their mobile hit, Merge Dragons. They have a couple of other hits, like 1010 and, you know, other games. Zynga bought them for $250 million in cash, with further cash and payouts available if Graham Games hits certain metrics over the next three years. That's the story. I'm going to move on. <laughs> uh, next up, we have PUBG Corp files a lawsuit against Fortnite creator Epic Games. The claim is copyright infringement. So this follows PUBG Corp's lawsuit against NetEase for both Rules of Survival and Knives Out. I remember uh, I covered this like many months ago. You know, things like Winner Winner Chicken Dinner was in one game and another game like something about the way the weapons were and the weapon art style. So they claim copyright against that. Um, that probably won't go anywhere, but... 
because, you know, those companies are in Asia and really they're not really hinged on an American audience, you know, for success. They're hinged on an Asian audience, whereas PUBG, I don't think, has even cracked Asia that much compared to Fortnite. So that lawsuit probably won't go anywhere. Um, now, for this lawsuit, this is an, uh, an American lawsuit, and copyright lawsuits are rarely won in the video game industry unless names or specific artwork are blatantly stolen by the accuser. And I mean, this has to be, like, blatantly stolen. So, you know, I mean, how many generic RPG characters look the exact same? So these lawsuits rarely won. I remember, the this is a board game story, but the creators of Bang Dice... Someone made Bing Dice, but with three Kingdom characters, but everything else was the exact same. The mechanics, how everything worked, pretty much the wording, the rules, and so on. And Bing Dice sued the creators and still lost. That's how hard it is to win, like, copyright uh, lawsuits for game-related stuff. So, this seems like a desperate situation, because in my opinion, and I don't have any numbers, so this is just me just making shit up, but PUBG... Looks like it's probably declining. Um, and now Fortnite is just so dominant with like stories about high school and middle school kids who can't stop playing Fortnite on their mobile phones at school. And then, like, you know, Fortnite is officially like just taking over Twitch. You know, Ninja, Fortnite streamer, will just like pummel any major esports tournament he's up against. Like, him just streaming him like goofing around on Fortnite will destroy like major major tournaments for other games so yeah and the other thing is like PUBG. so fortnite was made by epic games PUBG's original game was literally unreal 4 which is a game engine epic games release it was like base art assets in unreal 4 and everything was like base unreal 4 stuff so it's really hilarious that they're talking about copyright um, when they, in their beta version of the game, were just using, like, base art assets available in Unreal 4. And on top of that, PUBG itself is a copy of an Arma 3 mod. I think the mod was called Battle Royale. So, frankly, I don't think they should be the ones dishing out lawsuits. But I don't run their company, so... Yeah. Um, and then I'll run through the last two big newses of the week for business. And that's Nordisk Film acquires Avalanche Studios, so the developers of Mad Max and Just Cause video games is completely acquired by the company Nordisk Films. So Nordisk Films is a film production company. They mainly do like film production, publishing, um, equipment, and so on, and they're looking at expanding the games. The acquisition was for an estimated $136 million, and Avalanche Studios is really three studios. I think they paid too much because... Uh, the Mad Max game was cool, but, like, I mean, no one... I don't see people clamoring for a sequel, and Just Cause has always been a... Like, it's just not a game that people, you know, think about when they think about major games. So, $136 million is a lot to swallow for the three Avalanche Studios studios, but I don't know, you know, I don't have their numbers. Maybe they're killing it. And next up, another weird story, Voodoo. Um, a mobile game company raises $200 million from Goldman Sachs. So in the strangest news of the week, the PE, that's private equity fund at Goldman Sachs, just outright gives $200 million to the French developer Voodoo to double its staff and, you know, 
double down on their focus on mobile. Voodoo basically just makes extremely, extremely basic and casual mobile games. A lot of them probably just look like blatant ripoffs of other casual mobile games. And it just leads me to wonder why the hell they're getting $200 million from a private equity fund at Goldman Sachs. I mean, that that really doesn't add up. Um, once again, I don't have numbers. Maybe they're killing it. And maybe Goldman Sachs is like, hey, we're just going <laughs> to load these people with debt and start taking management funds and then sell off the company in classic PE fashion. So I don't know. That's another weird one. So let's go into people news. Um, Atari code co-founder Ted Dabney dies at 81. That's really sad, but I mean, let's look at it. 81 is a long life and the man left an amazing legacy. There's a, actually like, I'm pretty sure there's a tech T or it's no a G4 icons episode about this guy that I recommend you go watch if you're curious. So Atari was created by Nolan Bushnell and Ted Dabney in 1972. Um, they also, um, when Nolan Bushnell went to go create Chuck E. Cheese, he actually worked with Ted Dabney again um, to do that. And Ted Dabney, he was an electrical engineer and pretty much was key in creating all the technology that was used in the original Pong arcade. So it's sad that he died, but I mean, the man lived to 81 and left an amazing legacy. So good on him. And uh, GameStop names their new interim CEO, Shane Kim. So this is after CEO Michael Mahler departed earlier in May. And uh, Shane Kim has been appointed interim CEO. He was a current board member, I guess the board voted, and they were like, hey, you go run this shit until we find someone permanent. Um, Shane Kim was a former Microsoft VP of Game Studios. And I think this is a good move because while at VP of Game Studios at Microsoft, Kim oversaw Gears of War and Halo. So probably knows a lot about the game industry. And next off, I have two bad news uh, segments to leave you with, and that's Wargaming Seattle is shutting down. So there were formerly gas-powered games known for the Dungeon Siege and Supreme Commander series. Dungeon Siege was really popular back in the day. Um, and then they had a few rough years, which uh, I don't know how, because I, I remember Dungeon Siege was huge. Um, they had a few rough years, and then after a failed Kickstarter, they were acquired by Wargaming, in 2013. So Wargaming is known for the trio of games, World of Tanks, World of Warplanes, and World of Warships. This is the second Washington State studio for Wargaming that has been shut down. So first, the Bellevue-based WG Cells was shut down in 2016, and now Wargaming Seattle was shut down. So the rumor is around 150 staff members have lost their jobs. So that's rough. Um, however, I know that there's Microsoft and Valve and Bungie and a billion other companies in Seattle. So hopefully you guys can uh, land on your feet. And next up, another round of layoffs. Jam City layoffs lays off an unreported amount of employees. Some reports say the layoffs were sizable. Jam City said nothing official. Um, but Jam City's layoffs hit a number of their studios, but it was reported that TinyCo was hit the worst, and uh, TinyCo is a Jam City subsidy, and they made Marvel Avengers Academy, and they were hit the worst, I think, because um, I guess that game had a lot of higher expectations than it kind of uh, lived up to be, but the rest of the company is apparently pivoting 
to support Harry Potter Hogwarts Mysteries, which, you know, last time I checked sometime in May was killing it when it was released. So, yeah, that's rough, too. Um, hopefully, I think Tiny Co. is in the Bay Area. So, once again, I think it's a it's sad that you lose your job at Tiny Co., but once again, you're in the Bay Area, so plenty of other companies to go look at. So, hopefully, you guys are all successful in your um, job hunt. So, I need to stop leaving you guys with bad news is what I'm thinking right now. But uh, I think it's good to cover this type of stuff just so people know, you know, the ups and downs of the game industry and how volatile things can be at times. So, I'm Aaron McConnell. I'm signing off, and I'll see you guys next week. Hopefully, I won't do another giant break again. Bye.